Merely seeing Jesus is not enough for faith. Faith is a matter of the heart. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6 as we begin reading in verse 45. And before we read God's word, let us go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this account of scripture, Jesus walking on the water. Lord, would you be pleased to show us what this means for us today. Father, call us to faith in Christ. Call us to see him for who he is. Father, deal with our functional unbelief, our hard-heartedness, we believe. But Lord, deal with our unbelief, we would pray. Even use this preacher and this scripture as part of your means to work in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today's account of Jesus walking on the water appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. And the accounts in each of the Gospels generally agree with one another. However, Each gospel contributes something unique to this wonderful story concerning Jesus. Matthew's gospel, for example, emphasizes the storm and highlights Peter's little excursion out on the water with Jesus. When we look at John's gospel, he gives one of the reasons why Jesus dismissed the crowd and went alone up on the mountain to pray because the crowd wanted to make him king. And we also find in John's gospel that Capernaum is the destination of this voyage on the sea. And we know that Jesus, after they were were underway three to four miles, that he went to them, they received him on the boat, then immediately they landed on the shore. What is Mark's unique contribution? Mark really centers on demonstrating Jesus' deity and the hard-heartedness, the functional unbelief, the little faith of the disciples. I have to see it to believe it. Have you ever said that? I've used this this phrase, this, this saying before, and I suspect you have as well. This saying suggests that seeing determines belief in something. And in some cases, this is true. For example, I have been known all of my life up to this point 
to be a dog lover and a dog owner. When Renee and I were adopted by a little cat that walked up to me one afternoon in my front yard back in 2022, uh, we took the little cat in. And some could hardly believe it. They had to see it. They had to see Tim with Zoe, the cat, to believe it, to believe that Tim had been converted to a cat lover and a cat owner. Seeing is believing, right? Not always. Seeing is believing is not determinative. It's not enough when it comes to faith in Jesus. In our text last week, the disciples saw Jesus multiply five loaves and two fish and feed a crowd of 5,000. In our text today, the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water. If seeing is believing, surely they had seen enough to understand exactly who Jesus was and have full, complete faith and trust in him. However, seeing Jesus perform these two miracles did not lead them to strong faith. They did not see Jesus and his deity. And their problem was not poor vision. They saw him. Their problem was a hard-hearted heart. The occasion of Jesus walking on the water teaches three lessons. It teaches this, firstly. Jesus walked on water to assure the disciples of his presence. Second, Jesus spoke his name to the disciples to calm their fears. And thirdly, Jesus got in the boat with them to expose their hard-heartedness. So first, Jesus walked on water to assure the, the disciples of his presence. JFK's father, Coach K, said it. Billy Ocean sang it. And likely, you and I have used it. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. When things become difficult, we want strong, capable people to step up and handle it for us. Circumstances had gotten really tough for the disciples. They are out in the sea in the midst of high winds and high seas. And the tough, the able one, the one with all the power, the sovereign Lord of all, stepped up, walking on water, and handled it for the disciples. Today's passage begins with Jesus sending his disciples by boat ahead of him to Bethsaida. And this is a second town by the name Bethsaida on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee between Capernaum and Gennesaret, just south of Capernaum. We know John's Gospel gives us that they were heading to Capernaum. So generally, this accords with 
the accounts of the Gospels. However, we know from verse 53 of Mark 6 that they did not land at Bethsaida, did not land at Capernaum. Likely the winds blew them further south. They actually landed, made, made land, went ashore at Gennesaret. We'll look at that next week. But they were headed towards Capernaum, towards Bethsaida, just south of Capernaum. And as the disciples set sail, our Lord dismissed the crowd. And he withdrew up on top of the mountain to, to spend the evening in prayer. You'll see this in verses 46 and 47. Now let's talk a little bit about the Sea of Galilee. We mentioned this before back when we were looking at Mark chapter 4. But the Sea of Galilee is this body of water that's, that is 696 feet below sea level. And not only the mountainous terrain around the Sea of Galilee, but, but the sea level being below sea level makes the Sea of Galilee prone to severe downdrafts and sudden windstorms. And so this particular night, one of these ferocious windstorms had, had kicked up. Jesus could see from his vantage point on top of the mountain that, that the disciples in the boat were struggling on the sea. They were and they were facing this headwind, not making progress, probably in fear of being capsized and drowned. And so at the fourth watch, which is about three in the morning to six in the morning, our Lord, the text says in verse 48, came to them walking on the sea. Now we need to talk about that, walking on the sea in the midst of of this ferocious windstorm, meaning that there were probably pretty significant waves out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walking out on the water meant that Jesus was walking on waves. Job describes God's authority over nature in this way, one who tramples the waves of the sea. Job chapter 9 and verse 8. Isaiah the prophet identifies the Lord as one who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, Isaiah 43, 16. Jesus, the sovereign Lord of all, with all authority and power, who calmed the sea in that episode in Mark chapter 4, now walks on the waves and subdues them demonstrating once again his divine nature. And verse 48 states that he meant to pass them by. So what does this mean? Is, is Mark trying to tell us that the Lord intended for the disciples not to see him? That he would be walking on the waves at some distance so they would not be able to recognize him? No, that is not it at all. Our Lord's intent was for the disciples to see him and more for his disciples to see his glory as the sovereign Lord over all. Jesus passing by the disciples walking on the waves echoes what we heard Jim read from Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. Jim did a great job introducing the background to this passage. But God said to Moses, 
and to the nation of Israel. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest, chapter 33 and verse 14. And then Moses, as if, because of God saying, I will not go with you, and now Moses interceding on behalf of Israel, as Jim brought up, and now God's saying, I will go with you, my presence will be with you. Moses needed a little bit of assurance. And so he asked to see God's glory. And God hid Moses in the rock so that Moses would not be able to see his face because he couldn't bear it. And Moses just caught a glimpse of the backside of God's glory. And as Moses is there in the cleft of the rock, God passed by. As the disciples were there in the boat, fearing for their life, Jesus passed by. Jesus passed by to show his glory and to assure the disciples that the Lord of all is present with them in the midst of the difficulty on the sea. Mark tells us in verse 45 that Jesus sent his disciples ahead of him to the other side, to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this implies a promise that Jesus would join them, to be present with them. But I'm sure they never expected Jesus to join them, walking on the waves, passing them by. But the Lord did fulfill this promise, showing that he is the one who fulfills promises, the promises of God, the promises of the covenant. It's a beautiful, powerful demonstration of Jesus' deity, who stepped up to handle the difficulty in which the disciples found themselves. Jesus, the sovereign Lord of all, passed them by. Behold his glory, be assured of his presence. When we're in trouble, what, what might trouble look like in our lives? It could look like a host of things. I'll just name a few. Spiritual, spiritual dryness, physical ailments, physically sick, physically injured, physically struggling in some way. What about emotional difficulties that we face? What about financial burdens? What about sorrowing over a loss? What about just simply being confused with what is happening, not being able to connect the dots with circumstances? When the going gets tough, we need a tough one to get going and to step up and to handle it. And the toughest one that we need, the one that we need, is the one that stepped up and handled it walking on the waves in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has promised his powerful presence as the sovereign Lord with his people. As his glory passes by, we are assured of his presence with us. We are never alone in difficulties. We need to remember that. 
Jesus is there gloriously present, trampling down the waves. And so what is our response? Cry out to him, trust him, embrace him, rest by faith in his glorious presence. We have the promise of Jesus' presence at the very end of the Great Commission, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, this, this is my commission to you. And what were his last words in the Gospel of Matthew? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We need to remember that. Our God is with us in the midst of difficulty, trampling the waves. Second, Jesus spoke his name to calm the disciples' fears as they were terrified by Jesus' presence. Have you ever been startled by someone that, that came up to you and you didn't recognize them and you just all of a sudden you were fearful? Only after that person identifies him or herself is that fear relieved. Well, the disciples were startled at Jesus' presence. They didn't connect a dot to Jesus passing them by his glorious presence that was there to assure them. They were troubled, fearful. The disciples thought in verse 49 they saw a ghost. And we may think, well, that's kind of weird. But the reaction may be part of what was commonly believed in that day, that, that spirits at night, in this case a water spirit, appeared to bring disaster and so they likely thought that this spirit was out there walking on the water only to be a part of the waves and the wind causing them to capsize and sink and drown they thought they were done for on the sea and so they cried out they didn't cry out in faith they cried out in terror they screamed they they had seen a ghost. We, we might say they were scared to death. And note that all of them on board, even Peter, were greatly alarmed. They were in full panic mode, so terrified, so paralyzed by fear. They couldn't do anything to avert this impending disaster. They were even incapable. Not even Peter was capable of encouraging the others on the boat. He was just, just absolutely in fear, frozen. Think of a terrifying ride on a roller coaster. What are the only two things that we can do? And I've experienced this by sitting beside someone on a roller coaster. You grip the bar and you scream. And that very well describes the Disciples gripping the side of the boat and screaming in terror. The voice of Jesus, I think this is beautiful, that the voice of Jesus broke through their screams. Because immediately the text tells us Jesus spoke to them. He encouraged them. He said, take heart, do not be afraid, verse 50. No doubt they... They were relieved to hear Jesus' voice, a familiar voice, and go, okay, it's the Lord. All right, great, we're good for. I mean, we're, we're good. 
But our Lord speaking his name is more than just simply recognizing his voice. Jesus speaking his name, it is I, showed something more profound. We find Jesus demonstrating once again his, his deity. It is I, Jesus said. And that echoes what we read in Exodus chapter 3 in verses 13 through 14. You remember Moses standing before that burning bush and God speaking to him out of the bush. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Jesus spoke his name. It is I demonstrating his deity. It is I am. As Yahweh promised to be with Moses and the nation and provide for them by fulfilling all of those covenant promises to them, so Jesus sought to come and assure his disciples of his presence and provide for them to calm their fears and cause them to take courage in the midst of the difficulty. And the disciples were terrified by Jesus' presence, thinking he was a water spirit for their destruction. But in the midst of these this perilous circumstance, they were commanded to take heart, do not fear, not because they misjudged the severity of the, of the wind and the waves. No, it was a really difficult, dangerous, perilous situation. They were told to take heart and do not fear because of the one who identified himself. It is I, it is I who I am of the covenant. The one who trampled the waves, called them to rest in him, to trust him in the midst of the difficulty because he had the authority and the power and the ability to relieve their fears and to fill their hearts with hope and encouragement. And so here is something that we see that the fruit of resting and trusting in Jesus, that is the fruit of putting our faith in Jesus is that we take courage and we fear not amid the waves. We are called to the same by Jesus when we find ourselves gripped by fear. We need to hear him say, it is I. Take courage. Do not fear. I am with you. We need to rest in the presence of Jesus who has fulfilled all the promises of God and who gives them freely to us. We need to rest in the promise of eternal life, a promise purchased by his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We need to rest in the promise of sanctification whereby our faith is strengthened and we are made more and more like him. 
We need to rest in the promise of his love, which we know from Scripture that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We need to rest in the promise of prayer in that God hears the prayers of his people and sovereignly responds. We need to rest and trust in Jesus to give us courage and to calm our fears in the midst of difficulty. It's easy to be full of hope and joy knowing that Jesus is with us when things are going well. And that may be a time of spiritual peril because we can so easily become complacent. But how much we need to hear Jesus say, it is I. Take courage. Do not fear when life it's difficult. Jesus said in John 14, as the disciples were concerned with Jesus departing, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Do not fear. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It is I. Put your faith in me. Now here's the question. Did the disciples put their faith in Jesus? Do we put our faith in Jesus? Third, the disciples' hard-heartedness and unbelief was exposed when Jesus got in the boat. And so I have found that being married to Renee, great wife, but I have found a spiritual reality here, and I think it's true for both of us, but I'm preaching, so I'll use it from my side that my marriage uh, to a really great wife is a tool in God's hands to expose my heart. And maybe you have a spouse that God uses to do that or a friend that God uses to do that or a circumstance that God uses to do that. But I'm called to selflessly serve, selflessly sacrifice, selflessly lay down my life for Renee, right? Ephesians 5 might be a good text to show that. And just about every day, my self-centered, self-serving, selfish heart is exposed by Renee being with me. And I want to use that to show us that the disciples' hard-heartedness, their little faith, their unbelief, their functional unbelief was exposed when Jesus hopped in the boat with them. <laughs> Jesus got in the boat, verse 51, the wind ceased and the disciples were astounded. I think we need to say they astounded here is more, they simply could not connect the dots. They were perplexed, they were dumbfounded. It wasn't probably that the wind ceased. I mean, Jesus could have caused the winds to cease. I mean, he ultimately did, but it could have been just a, a natural thing, so we don't need to read more into that. But certainly we know they were astounded. Okay, the wind ceased, but also I think even more they were astounded that, that Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, that Jesus walked on water. They, who does that? 
these miracles should have led them to go, Jesus is divine. He is the, the sovereign Lord of all, but they didn't. They didn't believe. Jesus' divine actions did not lead to faith. It led to, what in the world is going on? I'm astonished. I'm astounded. A little faith. Remember Peter in Matthew's gospel, chapter 14 of Matthew. So Peter asked, Jesus is walking on water. And so Peter asked Jesus, hey, Lord, I want to come to you. And Jesus said, come on. Come on, Peter. And what did Peter do? Do you, do you remember that story? This is, this is Mark's unique contribution to the walking on water episode. So Peter boldly gets out of the boat, uh, the boat and he is walking towards Jesus, feeling really good about himself. Oh, I'm, I'm an example of faith. And then all of a sudden, he took his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on the waves and the wind and he began to sink, and then he cried out. He didn't, he didn't cry out in terror. He cried out, Lord, save me, and Jesus reached out and saved him. And remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? While Matthew records the disciples' response of worship and professing, Truly, you are the Son of God. What Mark wants to see, to see is this problem of Peter's hard-heartedness, the disciples' hard-heartedness. Some years ago, Renee and I went through a Bible study with a mentor, and we learned about little faith. We learned about functional unbelief. We learned a little bit about hard-heartedness. Believers having hard heart, a, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but one who struggles with really embracing Jesus, really embracing the promises of God, really seeing that, that Jesus has all these wonderful promises for us and they're ours and we just take them. We can so easily fix our eyes on the things around us, the problems, the difficulties and wind up as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ going to heaven. But just like these disciples, hard-heartedness, functional unbelief, little faith. Peter in Matthew's account was, this is what gets me. <laughs> Peter, Peter was standing on the water. I mean, that might be one clue right there that something really fantastic is going on here. Peter is standing on the water before Jesus. Now, if I'm standing on the water before Jesus, I would think that I would, I would have really strong faith in Jesus. And I could care less about the waves and the wind and whatever else is around me. But what does Peter do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He begins looking at the waves. He begins looking at the difficulty. All of a sudden, he's overcome by little faith, by hard-heartedness, by functional unbelief. Right in front of Jesus on the water, and he begins to sink. Does that sound like someone you know? It sure sounds like me, and you know me. 
And I know some of you, it sounds like some of you, we can struggle so to really embrace Jesus and all that he has for us in our heart. We struggle to keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, when I take my eyes off of Jesus, I can, I can become fixated on the economy. And I can become fixated on politics. And I can, I can become fixated on, I have a right for this, and I have a right for that. And that person doesn't need to treat me that way or this way. And I can become fixated on, do I have enough for retirement? And before you know it, I can be fixated on money. And I can then find myself, <laughs> I'm a lover of money. So there's a sign for this type of hard-heartedness that Mark is talking about here. When we begin to sink in fear, when we begin to sink in anxiety, when we begin to sink in fixating on something else in an in a over-the-top way that begins to consume us and drive us, like having enough money for retirement or like do, are my kids going to turn out okay? You name it, fill in the blank with whatever your example of sinking might be, whatever you're fixating on that is creating fear, anxiety, hard-heartedness, that that is a sign indeed that we have taken our eyes off of Jesus and we are trusting and resting in something else as our Savior. And what is the remedy? What is the remedy to hard-heartedness? By the way, it's the same remedy for someone who is outside the kingdom of God coming to see their sin in need of a Savior. The same remedy for them is the same remedy for Christians who have taken their eyes off of Jesus like Peter did and is sinking in fear and, and anxiety, being overcome with the concerns and cares of the world. Little faith, functional unbelief. What, what is the remedy? Here it is. Repent of taking our eyes off of Jesus. Repent of being a lover of money. Repent of having our family or our children as our idols that we're gaining life from. Repent from treating work as the savior of your life. And turn to Jesus in faith. Repentance and belief. Merely seeing Jesus is not enough for faith. Faith is a matter of the heart. And if you truly want heart change, if you, if you want to take your eyes off of the waves and the wind and put them back on Jesus, it begins with repentance. And it leads to faith in the sovereign Lord of all.
repentance and faith. That's what the disciples needed for their hard-heartedness, and that's what we need to do for ours. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do pray and ask that you'd be pleased to bring us to see not if we are hard-hearted, but where we are hard-hearted, like the disciples, and lead us to repentance and to faith. In Christ, the sovereign Lord, we pray. Amen. Would you please take your hymnal, or actually look in your bulletin on page 6, as we stand and sing, Christ the sure and steady anchor. Christ the 